Hello and welcome to Pre-Published. I'm Sophia. Luke Deckard and Alex Reeve are both crime writers studying for a PhD in creative writing. Way back in the mists of time, when I was too scared to sit down and write and desperately procrastinating, I did a PhD myself in Italian literature. I spent three very happy years reading early 20th century European literature and philosophy. The focus was on reading other people's work, not creating my own. So I was fascinated to know how a creative writing PhD works. Why do it? Does it help you get published? What about right brain, left brain? Does studying a subject academically for three years help or hinder the creative process? I was sceptical at the start, but as you'll see, it's a combination of the writing itself and studying an associated topic that you've chosen. In fact, having the opportunity to investigate an area that fascinates you can feed the writing, as well as providing a welcome change from putting on the word count sometimes. It was great to get Luke and Alex's different perspectives on it. I love their tips and recommendations, especially the exhortation not to do a PhD unless you're a particular sort of person. Maybe you weren't planning to anyway, but there's a lot in this episode about the craft of writing to get your teeth into all the same. We recorded it in May 2021. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So, Luke and Alex, welcome to Pre-Published. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I am very grateful to you both for giving up uh, some time this afternoon in May. Um, I usually start, given these kind of lockdown times, um, by asking where you're talking to me from. Just very sort of briefly describe your surroundings. So, Luke, should we start with you first? Sure. Uh, I am talking to you from the loft office of my house, which is in St. Albans. Lovely. And Alex. And I'm just south of Oxford um, in my basement, which is quite cold, even though it's May. It was hailing earlier outside. Uh, and um, yeah, so just, just near Oxford. Lovely. Um, and we're going to spend most of the time talking about writing, but I'm interested to know what you both do outside of your writing lives. So um, could you just tell me a little bit about that briefly, perhaps starting with you, Alex? Yeah, um, uh, so I am uh, I live with my family uh, here um, and uh, outside of writing, sadly writing cannot uh, uh, pay the bills on its own. Uh, and I'm a lecturer at uh, a business school in London. Oh, lovely. What do you lecture in? Uh, marketing and leadership my other my other life oh wow okay i could spend a whole podcast talking to you about that but i will restrain <laughs> myself that's interesting stuff uh and luke how about you uh yeah um so for me at the moment um outside of writing i don't I, I, basically i'm working on a phd right now in creative writing and that has been my life since about 2016 um uh, I, I did an MA and then moved right into the PhD afterwards. Um, and I've done a little bit of teaching uh, at the at the university, um, running workshops and things like that. Um, and I suppose outside of that, I also run events uh, for the CWA, the Crime Writers Association. Um, and those, yeah, that's kind of the, my life outside of writing. But my life outside of writing is also at the moment still writing <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or related yeah. to it. <laughs> Um, and and we we met through the Crime Writers Association, we did. didn't we? Which was which was great. It's I I love. I always say 
to writers, I, I encourage them at any stage in your writing life is to reach out and find people who do what you do because um, yeah. it makes it a lot less lonely. And when I started to try and be a crime writer, um, Crime Writers Association came along and, and I, I leapt on it. It was wonderful. <laughs> it really has been unbelievably useful and helpful to have that group, particularly the London group of crime writers, just that's that group of people knowing that we're all out there doing the same thing quietly in our back bedrooms together. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a lovely thing to know. Um, so um, I'm interested to know, both of you, um, to start with, what are you writing at the moment? Uh, right, yes, I've just, um, sorry, it's Alex, and I've just finished um, the first draft of my fourth book. Um, I can't tell you the title at the moment. I mean, I have an idea what the title is, but the publisher has not yet uh, said yes or no to that. So uh, it's the fourth in the series, uh, the Leo Stanhope series of historical novels. Um, and yeah, the first three are out and this is the fourth. Uh, it'll be out in the spring of next year. But um, as I say, that was the first draft. So uh, what happens next is the publisher sends me back probably an awful lot of corrections. So I imagine the next little while of my writing life will be spent um, working through all of those. Okay, and Luke? Um, yeah, so at the moment, um, it, I'm kind of I'm kind of torn between three things. I've I've just finished the the novel aspect of or component of my PhD, um, which is a 1920s historical suspense novel, um, sort of in the hard boiled genre. Uh, but I, I'm also working on the research paper now that goes alongside that, but uh, quite distracted with uh, a contemporary thriller um, that I'm just kind of beginning to break ground on at the moment. Okay, so you've got those two things going simultaneously. Yeah. <laughs> yes, good luck with that. Um, and can you tell me a bit about how you two know each other? Uh, well, I, uh, Alex, I think we, we just met via, via Twitter. Oh, was it? Yeah, we met via Twitter. And I think what really kicked off conversation, if I remember right, was... The, was the conversation with Emma Darwin about um, uh, it was Bridgerton, wasn't it? No, it was. Yeah. It was the, no, it was was it Bridgerton or the Crown? I think it was. I think it was Bridgerton. It might have been the Crown. I've watched both. I, I yeah, think it was one of those two shows that just come out, and there was some some heat, some hot dialogue on Twitter about it. Um, and through the conversation with uh, with Emma, I, we just kind of spitballed this idea of doing a um, a panel about historical fiction. Um, and then that kind of got us talking and realizing we were both working on creative writing PhDs and kind yeah. of went from there. And then and then sort of expressing sympathy for one another's, um, uh, you know, it's not easy. It's not always an easy thing to do. So finding somebody else who's in the same boat as you is, is always very nice. Yes, yes. So yes. you're not doing the PhDs in the same place then? No. Ah, okay. So Luke, are you at Kingston? Have I remembered that yeah, right? Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, Kingston, yeah. And, and Alex, how about you? Where are you studying for yours? Not far away, but at the University of Surrey. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, it doesn't sound super far away. Not and far and away. how far through the process are you, both of you? I so, am, Luke, oh, for example. Sorry, yeah, I have just entered what they call the write-up year, uh, okay. which 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 means you have one more year to finalize everything, your novel, your research paper, and then you have to present it in a in your viva, which is when you defend your work and you know talk about how it's so original and how you've somehow contributed to knowledge and literature and stuff like that <laughs> it, it, it's interesting because i feel it, it you feel sort of it, it's quite a heavy burden 
and I think most people will 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 look at it and feel kind of inadequate, which I I do quite a bit. It's like what am what who am I to contribute to knowledge or to literature? I I don't know. I just have a story that I think is good and worth telling and worth exploring. Um, so yeah, so that's 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 the next phase for myself. Okay. Um, I can just just say before before Alex comes in. Um, that um, I did my viva on um, on Italian literature a very very long time ago, and it was same same level of dread and you know all of that kind of thing. <laughs> but actually, I hope this happens to you. But I got in there, and they were asking me these challenging questions. Yeah. And I suddenly thought, do you know what? I've studied this for many years, and I at this moment in time, I am a little bit of a world expert on this <laughs> tiny subject. And I yeah. kind of really want to talk about it to two people who know and care. And this yeah. is my only chance. And it was it was a real pleasure, and I was very when it was over actually so anyway yeah. i hope you hope fingers it goes that crossed way you i would love that experience <laughs> i can imagine actually i mean it's interesting isn't it that you kind of go all through this but very much i mean you have supervisors and everything else but in terms of this particular niche of knowledge that you're working on you do sort of become the person and and yeah. so the chance to share that with someone is probably wonderful mm. um yeah i'm 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 in my third year of hopefully three um he says begging whatever gods of PhDs are out there, that this could be near the end. Um, I've done all the writing um, and all the all the creative bit, and I'm just sort of probably two-thirds of the way through the other bit, which is the, the kind of uh, literature review thesis elements other than the creative writing. Um, so probably sort of somewhere between 15 and 20,000 words into that bit. So that's sort of probably two-thirds. And my understanding is that in terms of word count, the the actual creative writing part is longer than the critical theory bit that you also submit, but that is not short either. No. no I think um, the, sorry, I was going to say the general rule is is around kind of eighty to ninety thousand for your creative piece, and then uh, around twenty to thirty for the for the critical. That's the same for me. Yeah. Yeah. Ness, I got got so much to ask you about this. It really fascinates me, and I, and I want to um, I want to ask you why, and I also want to ask you how. So 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 let's um, let's start with why each of you wanted to do this this as a PhD as opposed to just bum on seat writing the thing. Um, Alex, why why did you decide to go for the PhD route? Because I mean, you, you're already a, a published writer, is that right? Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, I was already a published writer before starting, and um, it was a real desire to have. Uh, you know, I do work in academia, albeit in a totally different field. Um, so I'm sort of surrounded by people who are very expert in what they do, and you know, academically expert and research, uh, you know, thick with research and all of this. And I just found it fascinating. But actually, I didn't want to do the research into a business-related topic because, frankly, I'd worked in business, you know, for. An, couple of decades before that and yeah you know I, I and I love being a practitioner in that area I love I love teaching and, and helping students to learn I really absolutely adore it but I didn't necessarily want to do a massive amount of research into it whereas this other part of my life the writing part of my life you know I do so much research anyway although I probably had no clue what the difference was what I was doing and a PhD but yeah, I do so much research anyway, and I love because writing in historical historical fiction, you know, I, I'm a stickler for accuracy and all of that. And it's such a fascinating area, and I just became so interested in it, and I just thought, 
I just really want to do this. It was just an absolute passion. And, and actually that hasn't left me throughout, throughout everything, despite, you know, inevitable ups and downs of going through the process, the, the original kind of genuine passion for the subject and the importance of the subject to me hasn't gone away. And the subject is, is crime writing? Is that how it works? No, not really. So the subject for me is, is believe it or not, transgender representation in Victorian and neo-Victorian literature. Oh, um, awesome. I'm glad I asked. I'm reading The Transition <laughs> Baby at the moment, so I'm, I'm deeply right. into transgender theory. There you go. Uh, a, a much contentious book. Um, it, uh, it's a fascinating area because basically what happened in, um, in the Victorian era was there was no real writing about transgender people at all in that in that time um in fiction um so there's plenty of writing in fact you know scientists were studying the subject and people mm. have look ellis you know sexologists they were they were studying the subject towards the end of that era but actually in the fiction of the time there were no trans characters and it's just very fascinating to me there were trans characters in the fiction before that period and there were trans characters in the fiction after that period but during that so, period oh, okay so who, who, who were trans characters in the period before, for example? Oh, um, there were people like Mary Frith, who was um, written up uh, in various... She was a real person, but she was sort of appeared in various um, plays and, um, and other fiction, um, uh, you know, and plenty in, in sort of French fiction as well. People like Mademoiselle de Maupin was, a, was a, an opera singer who again appeared fictional, as a fictionalised version um, in in um, in a number of publications, both in France and in the UK. So in the sort of immediately prior era, it was quite a not not it wasn't a big topic at all. But it, you know, in a niche sense, there there were publications, but they just completely disappeared, and then they reappeared again um, in the early part of the twentieth century. That is so fascinating. I can quite see why it's kept your attention all this time, and and your fiction is is based in that world yes so the so the fiction leo stanhope is a is a trans man character um in mind and the, and the central character of the sort of the the uh, detective if you like of the novels that i write so yes okay i yeah so it's, i had thought that it would all be about critical theory what that what you'd be doing but it isn't that at all it's it's the sort of the literature potentially of the period that you're you're setting your world in it, it is and there is there's an element of critical theory as well so so there is an element of critical theory um but a lot of it is is rooted in the sort of well why did this happen and therefore it's a sort of mix of history critical theory um and i guess a little bit of sort of historical sociology I feel instantly whipped back <laughs> to my to my my sort of the, the early 1990s when I was doing this kind of thing myself. But I wasn't doing the creative part of it because I was just procrastinating and I was too scared and I wish I had. Um, so and and Luke, how about you? So, so sort of going back to why a PhD? Yes, why a PhD? So that um, I I had always wanted to to do the PhD, um, and I I kind of got to a point in my life where I, I was kind of I was kind of on on the teetering point of of potentially having to move back to the United States permanently which is where I'm originally from um, and I just finished my MA um, in this kind of uh, you know teetering point of you know do I move back to the states or do I try and stay and then realize the only literally the only way that I could stay was um, to to do a PhD. Um, 
and so I had I had my idea already, but it's something other people probably would have spent a year probably working on before they applied for PhD programs. Um, but I just honed it in about in about a month's time, and then sent sent it off, and and then you know then got accepted. So it was the the reason for applying when I did was was more uh, out of a sense of not wanting to go back to the to the states. Um, <laughs> But in conjunction with that, I, I wanted to do it because I've, I've been very fascinated with hard-boiled detective fiction. Um, so things like Raymond Chandler, Deschelles Hammett, uh, Ross MacDonald, individuals like that. Uh, and I've also been fascinated with the, the kind of the literary struggle that crime fiction has. It, it always is deemed as sort of kind of trashy fiction. Um, and, and tip, you know, beach read sort of, sort of stuff. Um, and only, only sporadically does it achieve sort of a literary height. Um, mm. and so my, my whole purpose was to, to look at, to look at that, to look at a subgenre within a subgenre. So to look at historical hard boiled fiction. So the works of Philip Kerr and, and Walter Mosley and look at how they use this formula, this hard-boiled formula, um, but use it to explore socio-political issues uh, within their time. You know, Philip Kerr is is uh, pre and and post Nazi Germany, and Walter Mosley begins in 1940s LA and examines the the black experience through several decades. I think his new book takes Easy Rollins all the way up to the 60s. Um, and so I really wanted to explore that and then uh, started, kind of took a, a journalistic approach where I went looking for a story, which landed me on, uh, on 1920s Edinburgh and looking at uh, immigrant uh, issues at the time. Uh, there's always been a, a high Polish and, and Lithuanian uh, you know, a uh, group of people in in the Edinburgh and Scotland area because of I didn't know that because of mining and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't, as you said, you don't actually know that, and you don't know that because most of those individuals were kicked out of the country after World War One. Um, okay. And and I thought it was just so fascinating, and I I wanted to take this this genre and explore that story, which hadn't been told yet uh, in crime fiction or historical crime fiction. Um, so you sort of have to, with the PhD, you sort of have to find your, you have to find your niche and then you just have to just drive that, drive that point home, basically. Um, and that's kind of the, the, the focus of, of my particular book is, is using my detective to traverse this, this, you know, this landscape that, hasn't really been explored through fiction, plenty of historical research out there, but not explored sure. through through fiction that could be popularized, essentially. Oh, beautifully described. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, something I may, I'm curious about, and perhaps I, I don't need to, to worry, but is, is the kind of left brain, right brain side of approaching a creative project with a critical mindset does how much does it help and how much does it hinder i'm guessing that the creative work you do tremendously informs the the critical side of what you have to produce but does the critical side help or hinder your creative juices when you need to get chapters done 
time. Alex. Help, help for sure. <laughs> uh, actually, it's the other way around for me. The, the Very much um, the critical side informs the writing much more than the other way around. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't make you... Um, sort of stop stop you in your tracks thinking too much about it that's that would be my concern if it was me no i think it more of it's a sort of uh a change of pace i think so mm -hmm. um you know when you when you're writing you know i can i can i can just about probably get through a couple of thousand words in a day if i'm really sort of at it well um and i'm, I'm not and i know there are certainly creative writers much faster than that whereas you know doing critical theory work and, and, and PhD stuff, it's much, much slower than that. You can't get through, you know, if you get through 200 words in a day, you're doing quite well. <laughs> um, and it's because of the depth of research is so much greater, you've got to know everything and look up mm -hmm. everything and get to the bottom of everything in such detail. And, um, you know, so sometimes what happens is I sort of run out of creative juice, you know, and I'm, and I'm sort of running on empty a bit. And then I can change and go and, and go and do something much more academic and get stuck into that. And it's it's so different and such a different experience. Um, and very often I'm coming across things doing that that then start to seep into the into the fiction the next day. You know, little little snippets of historical truth or uh, a little sociological aspect or something like that. Um, that that just to sort of really changes the the novel and i think that's really valuable so to me they go hand in hand but in a sort of slightly weird way you're really selling it i have to say luke <laughs> how about you yeah um so my uh, my approach is, is similar ish to alex's um i think for me my i did a a bucket load of research before i started writing the novel um so my, my whole approach was, I'm going to do a bunch of research. I'm going to find the stuff that I think is is the interesting stuff and the stuff worth telling. And then I'll use that to write, to, you know, put together the plot and, and, do, and do it that way. So, because I, what I did is I didn't actually really begin my research paper until I finished my creative piece. Okay. Uh, I had an, I, I knew the idea of what my uh, 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 critical component would be. Um, but yeah, it, it just it. I wanted to focus on the on the creative side, which, to be fair, did did dip into the research element of uh, of everything. I just didn't begin writing the research paper until I finished that. So, sure. it, what's been helpful is because I've done this, I have amassed a ton of notes, and I'm able to just look at my notes and start pouring that into the research paper because it's it's all there. I just yeah. haven't you know for, formed it quite uh, quite the way it should be done yet um yeah so that that's been my approach with it is but there there have been times where i've i've you know i might be you know you do the rabbit trail thing you you look at one thing and then you stumble onto another and then you realize oh actually i need to incorporate this into my plot which then makes me you know go back and then do some rewriting to to incorporate various uh, various things that you know I, th I think could be could be interesting or worth worth exploring or or you know making to you know to, to show a different aspect of society that you know i wasn't aware of but i think should probably be be shown in the be shown in the book and 
I'm interested in in the kind of the process of support that you have. I mean, do you, do you have a I don't know weekly or a fortnightly catch up with some sort of supervisor who's helping you out, or are you kind of left to your own devices for several months, like see you at the end of term, or what do they do? I don't know about you, Alex, but I'm I'm pretty much on my own ninety percent of the time. That about yeah, sums I, it up. <laughs> uh, I think it's quite a nice mix. I mean, I've, my main supervisor is always there and is, you know, always, always happy to kind of just have a quick chat. And then um, the theory is that, that we meet once a month. That's the kind of structure that the university is set. Yeah. Um, and the, the truth is that sometimes I don't really need anything for, for two or three months, especially through COVID. We've been going through lockdowns. I've got yeah. five adults in the house here. Uh, it's really hard to find that time to work on it. So that's, you know, yeah. especially the last three or four months um, has been a bit of a nothing uh, in terms of getting progress on the PhD. So there hasn't been much point in having a catch up every month when I really haven't you know, made much progress. But other times when I'm right on it and it, it'll be much more often than that. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk quite often. And, um, and that's been great. My, my other supervisor, who's less on the creative side, more on the critical theory side, um, less contact uh, but when when I do it's incredibly valuable it's it, it comes all at once in a huge sort of gush of information that I then have to try and cope with and make sense of um, yeah. but but you know she is brilliant and and a, an absolute world leader at what she does and you know it's so it's incredibly valuable but also <laughs> a bit of a, a bit of a kind of a, a waterfall of information that you just have to I find myself like just writing phonetically all the names and authors and things I'm supposed to know um, uh, and also she has, she's really wonderful and lovely she has a slight practice of saying oh have you read so and so it'll be something incredibly obscure to which the answer is always no which just makes you feel like oh my god you know I'm so unread for not having read this yeah. Japanese author from the you know 1940s who wrote about such and such you know because yeah <laughs> it makes you feel very ignorant but but she is amazing so it's fantastic so. yeah do you did either of you have the idea i mean you know alex already as as you're saying you know you, you've got published books out there um was did you have the idea that doing a phd would help you get published in in addition to the other things that it it does for you either of you not really um not for me i i honestly you know, I had a, I had two books out there. I had a, a you know a publishing deal for the next two, so so no, it wasn't that at all. It was genuinely interested in the topic and and a desire to sort of further my academic credentials rather than as a way of getting published. To be honest. Yeah. And Luke, it, it kept you here, but did it <laughs> did it have other things as well? It did. It did keep me here. Um, it, 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 it my aim really with doing the PhD wasn't necessarily about publication, but was more about uh, academic credentials and and aiming to you know wanting to wanted to teach yeah the, the yeah. subject um at but yeah particularly at a university level which you know you either kind of need a you know ma or phd to to do that so i yeah thought it was was more than worthwhile to to, to pursue but no i i didn't i didn't go in thinking that it would be a a that it would help on the publication side um yeah because it, it doesn't is the yeah. is the is the cold hard truth it doesn't <laughs> <Brutal> truth. <laughs> um 
I'm interested in in both of your your writing processes because I just I love mm. talking about writing process. Um, and and before we started, Luke, you you mentioned the great first person present to first person past rewrite, yeah. um, which which sounds like a familiar <laughs> thing to me. <laughs> um, so you've been doing a bit of that. Do you just want perhaps just talk a little bit about processy things that have been going on in your life recently. Yeah, I mean the the writing process is. It, it's it's as I was saying earlier before we started is it's it's kind of like you know trying to kickstart a motorbike where the thing just doesn't want to turn on so you 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 give it a, a fair number of of jumps before it finally gets going and that to me is kind of finding the right kind of voice and tone which uh, for this particular book the PhD novel um, that was I I I rewrote the first like I said ten to fifteen thousand words. A fair number of times before I was really happy with the voice, um, but then the interesting thing is uh, when I when I let other people read it outside of academia, there was sort of a an apprehension because it was first person present, and I, it made me start to wonder if you know if that is if that's a, if that's a problem, and then I you know kind of reevaluated the whole thing and thought you know what. I actually think this would flow better and be nicer if it was in uh, first-person past tense narration. Um, so then went back and overhauled the the whole thing uh, and and uh, re rewrote it that way, which I do think actually makes it makes it flow it makes it flow much much nicer. Um, Is it? Did you find you doing a lot of other edits as you went along? Yes, uh, it w it made me two things. It made me cut a lot, but then replace it with other things. Um, there were in in doing so, I ended up kind of developing a, a completely new uh, kind of subplot that I think really st uh, sharpened the the middle bit uh, that I felt that I felt at times was maybe a little bit soggy. The typical soggy middle. Um, yep. Doing this 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 tense change. A helped me, you know, cut the stuff that didn't need to be there, but then add a whole lot more exciting incidences uh, to kind of keep the to keep the pace, I, I think, going. Um, so yeah, so I think I, it was interesting. I think it actually really helped, um, and I think what it, for me personally, it, it writing in first person present really got me into my character's head. Yes, but then rewriting it was like I can I can now tell the story through him now as opposed to telling the story as he's experiencing it it's a very different thing isn't it yeah. it's not just about tenses at all yes yeah. it's about sort of accumulated experience versus yeah. that in oh, the moment Luke, stuff, you know what you've it? done Luke you're gonna have to do that for every novel you write from now on you're gonna have to start <laughs> writing it in the first person present and then switch I know and then move on you've got a process now you're stuck with it I know, I was thinking that. I don't want to do that, but there might be something to it. <laughs> <laughs> Useful writing exercise. I, I, mm. I must say, I've, I've done, I, I have done that when it was a pure procrastination technique and it was a bit of a find and replace job. And I made no progress really in it and wasted months. And I have done it when it really did make a difference because there was, there was some um, structural need for it and other things as you were describing came out of it yeah um 
And and I, if I'm ever talking to writing students about it, I, I do say, just ask yourself why you're doing it. <laughs> are you doing because yeah. you don't like what you wrote? Because <laughs> yeah. that's a different thing. Um, or or are you going to to find that um, that it does sharpen what you're trying to do in new ways? It's never just a, a find and replace job, is it? It's no, no. Other other th- other big things come out of it. No, and that's not about you, but I it helped me. I think also really dive into what my character thought about things because you know when you're first person past tense there's more room for reflection you know and and kind of breaking up scenes so I I felt that it actually added more depth to the I think so my my first few were in first person present and I and I in terms of immediacy because I was writing for young people it was brilliant yes um but but there wasn't much room for irony. There wasn't enough room for distance right, um, yes, and yeah. and reflection. And after a while, I found that really got me down. But it's yeah. interesting. I, with, with the book that I've just finished writing now, um, my, my US editor he was very happy with it. But he said, there's just one scene. I get that you want to do it the way you do it. But I just don't like the fact that you shifted into this character's head. And I don't like the character very much. But mm. I can live with it. And I looked at the scene and it was a minor character. Um, and I thought, well, I mean, I really trust my editor. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll try writing it from a much more... The person he was talking to is a much bigger character um, and one of the detectives. And and so I sat down and did it. And it was so much stronger by mm. the time I'd finished because I could... I could show what the detective was trying to do in in sort of, you know, gently getting stuff out of this, this witness. Mm-hmm. Um but I realised the reason I'd done it the way I had in the first place was it was it was just it was a writing day when I wasn't feeling very inspired and I wanted to get inside this scene and yeah. I thought well, the easiest way of doing it was doing it through the head of the, this witness mm. and I and I sort of forgot that I'd done it as a writing exercise and it stayed in the book but it it I'm really glad my editor picked me up on it actually yeah. because it wasn't it wasn't really good enough. <laughs> No, I, I get that. I think the, the the main feedback I had the last time my, my supervisor read my thing was there were, I realized there were characters that I needed to merge. I had too many one-off characters and yep, yep, yep. I then ended up merging them and, and again, you know, sharpening everything by, by, by doing that. It's, it's interesting when they, when your editor's like, just, just change this, just put these two people together and it's, going to be better it's like okay yeah the, the first instinct is always no oh, they're yeah. two separate people for a reason and yeah. then it's like oh but okay <laughs> yeah yep. yeah <laughs> so yes alex how about you and, and and process and things you've been up to recently on the on the writing front yeah so i write uh, first person past um and as you say very immediate and i don't know if i could switch now i think it would be very difficult i'm the next thing i do maybe i'll try a third person or something so process very simple really i um i plan it out and then i start writing and about three four pages into the writing two new characters appear and something else changes and i have to go back and change the plan to make sure it all stays coherent then about another 10 pages later, the same thing happens again. I have to go and change the plan. And I keep doing that until I get about halfway through. And then I throw away the plan and just write the rest <laughs> of it. And, um, and that seems to work. Uh, it's been the story of the last, uh, all of the last, all of these four novels, really. Um, I, it it, like it never really quite ends working. up. Yeah, it never quite ends up exactly where I think it's going to. Usually certain scenes stay in, you know, very much as I wanted to write and they're sort of, have a real urge to write certain scenes in the novel mm. and some of those um stay in but but quite often 
uh, and all the elements in between change quite a lot. So uh, yeah, I don't. I'm not very uh, consistent in terms of sticking to the plan, unfortunately. And how long does it take you to do a first draft usually? About four months. Um, That's fast. Yeah. I, I. So what I do is I procrastinate for two months and yep. do nothing. Um, and then I sort of get going a bit, but the first five, 10,000 words is usually quite agony and sort of takes a while. And then suddenly it just kicks in. And at that point, I sort of just get completely absorbed. And even when I'm walking around and doing the shopping and washing up and stuff, you know, it's just going on in my head all the time. And I, and I, I'm sort of very, very absorbed and very rapid. But I know more rapid writers than that. I mean, you know, Will Dean writes the whole thing in about <laughs> 10 days in some hut in... Oh. Don't. in Sweden you know, yeah <laughs> I know. the first draft you know so so I feel quite Amazing. slow compared to some folks but um but yeah no I'm I once I start I, I'm very I'm very obsessive and once I start I like to just do and not do anything else um you know like <laughs> anything useful other yeah. than writing I'm very obsessive with it yeah, and I do agree. I, my my husband says I get this thousand yard stare when I'm when I'm, and he likes it because it means that you know I'm I'm in a good stage. But the kids have to wave their hands a foot in front of my face yeah. if they need feeding and all of that stuff. That's I'm just not yeah. interested. Yeah. yeah, fortunately, yeah. my kids are old enough now to feed themselves. But but yes, or, or theoretically anyway, um, <laughs> at eighteen and twenty they really ought to be. Able. But but you know, um, same thing. You know, I I get that sort of. People have to talk to me three times for the most basic thing because my head's not really in the present at all. I think it's mandatory. I think that's just it's just how it works for all of us because it's the same. It's the same yeah. for me. I'll be I'll be sitting there staring into space, and then Claire will be like, "You okay?" I'm like, "Yeah, why?" She's like, "Well, you just..." <laughs> oh no, I'm just thinking it's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the, the other I'm thing I a notebook is... around as well. I have to carry a notebook everywhere. Yeah. Because because yeah, you know, middle of the night, something. You know, all right, hang on. You know, I have to mm -hmm. make a note. And hope I can understand what it says in the morning. Oh, you there, Alex? Yeah. Yes, you are. Um, yeah. I, I forget to carry the notebook around with me. Um, I've got it here now, but um, I have to have little pads of paper all around the house for when I'm that moment comes, and um, and I don't have the notebook, so yeah, I have to grab something. I guess <laughs> we have a little shopping list in the kitchen. And I can't say how many times Claire's like, where's the shopping list? And I was like, oh, it's in the other room because I took it in there to write notes down. <laughs> yeah, I, I try. I, I keep telling myself, oh, I'll use my phone. I'll use my phone. It makes sense. Yeah. Save some paper, but I love a notebook. But I, I'm the same. I, I, I either don't have a notebook or then I forget to use the phone. But uh I'm extremely visual. When I, when I go on walks, I have these brilliant ideas for the way scenes are going to work. And I do a voice recording and I almost oh, never amazing. listen back to them. I need to see it on a page. So, right. yeah. But how, if, if it's an emergency, then then I can go back and, and listen. But yeah, pages are better for me. Yeah, yeah, I know. I get that, definitely. And, and how about writing heroes? And um, by this, I mean either writers whose, whose fiction you love or writing gurus. Um, who do you both kind of mentally refer to when you're, when you're doing your creative stuff? Uh, my my all-time writing hero um, is Sarah Waters. Mm, um, that makes sense. Yeah, quite. And um, so, and, and as part of the PhD, I was actually lucky enough to... to to sort of ask her some questions um, by email, which she then replied to. So, um, you know, it was very nice to, to for her to do that and to give me some um, 
sort of advice and also just her own writing process. And I thought that was very, very interesting. Um, yeah, so she'd be my all-time writing hero, I think. Wonderful. Um, any particular novels that um, that you have in mind? Um, the Victorian ones, I suppose, Tipping the Velvet and Fingersmith yes. would be the two, the two big ones for me. Yeah. And Luke, how about you? Who have you got in mind? Mm, that That's... That's hard. Um, I, I like I like a lot of people. Um, I think I think I'll, I if I if I had to pinpoint like a particular the particular person, it is it's probably going to be it's probably going to be Raymond Chandler. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I love his work. I love his essays. His his particular essay, "The Simple Art of Murder," is one of my one of my favorite essays on on crime fiction. Um, yeah, I, I just think, yeah, he just really got it um, in a way that sort of just transcends time. I mean, his his, you know, Philip Marlowe only has what five five or six books, um, and that's but he is infinitely famous, which is you know a testament to to Chandler's to Chandler's writing and, and storytelling. Even yeah. when his even when his storytelling isn't very good, um, his writing is incredible. Um, yes. You yeah. know. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I, it's interesting you say that because I, I I haven't ever articulated that to myself, but I I have found that reading a book going I love this I love this I love this oh the story is not going where I where it should be going but I still love it. Yeah. Especially yeah. with yeah. Chandler, don't you think? I mean, Chandler's such a brilliant and and you liked mm. you, you mentioned Walter Mosley earlier and I think he oh, owes yes. a lot to Chandler, doesn't he, in terms of oh, yes. style and the way it works. Do you know Raymond Chandler went to the same school as P.G. Woodhouse? Isn't that astonishing? Yes, yes. Dulwich College. How interesting. I, I love. I think there's a there's a, a, a I feel like a weird sort of kinship to Chandler, which is probably me being incredibly big headed. But I, I think it's because he's an American who lived in London, but also was born in Chicago, which is very near to where I grew up. So it's like we've kind of had like similar experiences in in some ways. So I feel like I. I kind of I kind of get him quite well, aside the except for the alcoholism and stuff like that. <laughs> and then yeah. and Woodhouse and Woodhouse too. I mean Woodhouse, like yeah. if, you, if you think about it, a the stories aren't great, but the style is amazing. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, relatively speaking, the story the stories are small, shall we say? And the yeah. and, and the other thing was he lived a lot in America. He was a British person who went and moved to America, so you've got that. You know, yeah, there's some similarities on. Yeah. He's my touchstone, really. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and oh, it's a novel. Um, I would. I, it would have to be a Chandler novel, and I. I think, I. I would have to say farewell, my lovely, is mm-hmm. is my all time favorite, next to the long goodbye. I, I think both of those two yeah. are just. It, those are actually Chandler at his at his best. I. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, we're nearly at the end, which is um, which is a shame because actually <laughs> we could just chat for the next hour about this stuff. Actually, um, but um, for this bit anyway, um, do I, do you both have tips that you would pass on to aspiring writers? Um, yeah, beyond obviously read, which we all say, which is so true. Yeah. Do you mean about <laughs> um, but... PhDs specifically, or do you mean in general? I do mean in general, but I'm interested if anything occurs to you as a result of doing the PhD. Um, tips for writers. Um, yeah, I think, you know, basically, I suppose the, the main tip for writer, tips for writer for me, the thing that counts more than anything else is that ultimately people read about people and 
themes and plots and characters, uh, rather like we were just saying actually about about um, Chandler and indeed Woodhouse is actually it's it's the characters that count. It's that, that's what people remember about your novel. Nobody ever comes up to me and says, "Oh, I love that twist in you know chapter twelve or something," but yeah. they will say, oh, "I like the character. Or I like this character," mm-hmm. and it ultimately all books are about people and the style, the the voice and everything else comes from that. So I think the the main thing for me, and I think, you know, the thing that's, that strikes me if ever I do read unpublished work by, you know, people who are still perhaps, you know, at an earlier stage um, in their writing is, you know, to get that bit right, because that's the bit that's so often uh, missing. And tips about doing a, a, a PhD in is basically... Don't do it because you think the creative writing PhD is easy because it really, really isn't. Don't do it just because you you mm. want to to you know wear the floppy hat or be called <laughs> doctor because you know none of that really counts for anything and it's really a, quite a lot of work and 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 a big commitment and only do it if you're really really passionate about what you're doing because you will be spending quite a lot of your life studying this one incredibly small narrow deep topic. So unless you have a pretty high degree of commitment to it you won't last. And I think that, so unfortunately, sadly, so many people drop out of PhDs of all kinds. Mm. And, and, you know, life gets in the way, and I recognise that for a lot of people. But for some people, I think it's just that possibly the reason they were doing it in the first place was never quite the right one. And, you know, that would be my main advice there. And and if you do choose to do one, you know, make sure that you've got a supervisor you can work with and the right sort of of pacing and understanding. because I think those things are so important. But other than other than that, read yes, of course. <laughs> Wonderful, yeah. And buy my, and buy my books you. and and, yeah, that'd be the other <laughs> and, and read Sophia's Alex books. Reed. Yes, <laughs> read my books specifically. Yes. And um, what would your what would your tips be? Yeah, I would I would echo a lot of what Alex said. Um, yeah, definitely finding a supervisor that is that is interested in your topic and and wants to and wants to see it come to fruition is important, but also don't do it unless you're serious about doing it um because yeah it is it is a lot of work um and it's it's the the lows are pretty low um with with the phd i think for for me at times that that you know there are there are many moments where you you sit there and you think oh my god everything i'm doing is terrible uh you know the feedback i've just had has completely turned me to hamburger like you know, I'm, I'm done, you know, so you really have to be tough to, to, to stick at it, I think, um, mm. cause it's very competitive. It's very competitive. So just yeah, be determined if, if you're going to do one, do it that way. In terms of writing advice, um, something I liked, I, I tend to tell a lot of people is, um, you know, the typical, yeah, read. Um, but I, I strongly encourage people to read the works of Joseph Campbell. Um, okay. Ah, oh, yes. Okay. Get that. Yeah. The power. The, the there's the the hero's journey. The hero with a thousand faces, is I think one of the most important books that any writer or aspiring writer can own. Um, well, we owe Star Wars to that, don't we? So apart you, from anything we, else, we, we do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we owe we we owe Star Wars to Joseph Campbell, and I can't remember the lady's name who edited Star Wars. Those are the two people that made Star Wars good. Um, yeah, because she edited the story and took all the fluff that George had and made it work. 
Interesting. Um, Good to know. I just can't remember her name. But yeah, I highly recommend that because that stuff, what the, the hero's journey is, is it works on, on, you know, it's not just the knight in shining armor who goes out and does stuff. There's the psychological aspect to it that is so important to the journey of the characters that we're trying to write um, and the journey that we experience as, mm-hmm. as humans on a daily basis. So I, I just, I always push the, the hero's journey by joseph campbell that the um yeah the hero with a thousand faces or if you have netflix or amazon i would say watch the power of the myth fat fascinating uh documentary with with joseph campbell um oh i haven't seen that yeah it, it's that sounds it, uh, something i need to do yeah it's 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 great and it has this wonderful you understand so much about the interconnectedness to sound like douglas adams um of everything um and and storytelling across cultures um that yes. you know similar similar stories and and myths that are shared by cultures that never met um and why they're important and why we still tell these stories because we still tell them in our crime fiction in our superhero movies in our netflix dramas the, these stories are still these themes and uh, uh, that are in our myths are still being told um and it's because they're innate i think in in, in most people so that's that's my big advice is, is go go read Joseph Campbell because he will enlighten you and help your storytelling uh, elevate. I, yeah, I like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, having sort of followed, um, you know, looked into what what he talks about in the hero's journey. You know, you see it in Japanese samurai movies, and then you see it in oh, yeah. in Yoda and R two D two, and then and then and you see it in Tolkien, and you see it in Norse legends and you see it oh, yeah. in, in the greeks and it's like oh my god there it is again there's that bit yep. um yeah over and over um great well i love those tips thank you very much and uh it's been a great hour's chat so yeah, so thank you both so much for joining me yeah thank, thank you, you for inviting much. us i'd like to thank christopher pett for editing and producing this episode of pre-published You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. You can also join us on Twitter at Prepub Podcast and find me at my children's books website, which is sophiabennett.com or my adult crime series website, which is sjbennettbooks.com.